Hello, and welcome to your next episode of Fixing Fitness with Kelly, the show that serves up real talk about fitness with a focus on why traditional fitspo just doesn't serve women in their 30s. Let's talk about what we can really do to get results that make all the effort worth it. Get more on the website at kellymarieroach.com, including exclusive access to my head-to-toe mobility routine when you download my free guide to the five worst exercise cues in the fitness industry. And tune into the Kelly M. Roach YouTube channel for weekly videos offering fresh perspectives on fixing fitness topics. What's up, everybody? So to introduce this week's podcast, I kind of wanted to pivot a little bit. We've been talking a lot in the last couple of weeks about how fitness in your late 30s is physically different than fitness in your 20s for a variety of reasons. In this week's episode, I kind of wanted to dive into some of the softer elements of lifestyle that are impacting our fitness, whether we realize it or not. It's kind of a common joke all over the internet that people in their late 30s are constantly exhausted no matter how much sleep they get, no matter how healthy they're eating, and even if they are, in fact, working out regularly. If you run Google searches for why am I so tired or tips to boost energy, you kind of are going to come across the same half dozen or so things. Change your diet, drink more water, sleep the same time every night, etc. We've all seen these articles, listicles, we're familiar with the advice. And a lot of us, even after implementing that advice, aren't gaining any ground. So in this week's episode, I want to dive into the question, why am I always so tired by taking a slightly different angle? And I hope you enjoy. In a recent survey of over 2,000 people, 40% of women responded that exhaustion was what prevented them from eating healthy and being physically active. These survey results were reported in a recent Washington Post article. The article, disappointingly, went on to beat the old drum that regular movement sparks physiological changes that can boost energy and improve sleep. That seems to be the general recommendation, and with good reason. There is plenty of clinical evidence demonstrating that increased activity levels can reduce feelings of fatigue and improve sleep quality. But as someone who has prioritized nutrition and exercise for the past 15 years, I can tell you that I'm tired of hearing this advice because I do all the right things and I'm still exhausted. Obviously, there's something more going on here than just neglected nutrition and high levels of sedentary activity. In last week's episode, we took a close look at how the amount of time we spend being sedentary can impact our health long term. One of the things I mentioned that contributed to my sedentary behaviors was mental exhaustion rather than physical. And I tried to find that sweet spot between mental rest and physical activity. But what if this isn't enough? What if, in a broader sense, we are all just stuck in a perpetual loop of mental and emotional fatigue that is manifesting physically? I was curious whether there was any science to back the hypothesis that increased physical activity can counteract or reduce the effects of mental stress. And sure enough, there is. There's also a body of evidence demonstrating that concerted efforts to reduce stress through things like mindful meditation are effective. But here again, I feel like there was a piece missing. Like many of us, I dove into more spiritual practices like yoga, journaling, and meditation during the pandemic. And I can't say that it had any lasting impact. It's definitely the kind of thing you need to keep up with. You can't meditate once a week and call it good. But incorporating all of the feel-good practices every day got to the point where my so-called morning routine was taking nearly three hours. 
And I know that there are books that promote the 30-minute morning routine, but for me, reducing my exercise, journaling, planning, and meditation to quick five-minute sessions felt more like a box-checking activity than a truly effective practice. The bottom line is that all of these practices designed to reduce stress, beat exhaustion, and free us up for greater motivation and increased physical activity just weren't working for me. I was further frustrated by the fact that the only time I felt really rejuvenated on a mental, emotional, and physical level was after a true vacation or retreat from reality. Those are always lovely, but it cannot be the case that the only time I feel at peak health is when reality is suspended. So what's going on with life in our 30s that traps us in the loop of being too exhausted to take care of ourselves when taking care of ourselves is the only way to stop being exhausted? Three years ago, I went through yoga teacher training. One of the modules discussed the Panchakosha, or the five bodies theory of human experience. The concept states that there are five bodies or sheaths encasing the human soul. From the innermost sheath, they are the bliss body, the wisdom or intuitive knowing body, the mental body, the energetic body, and finally, the physical body. And one of the principles taught in yoga is that illness in the physical body can sometimes be a manifestation of an illness that begins at a deeper kosha, which was not acknowledged and healed. I realize this all starts to sound a bit woo-woo, but stay with me. I shared last week that I had to go through the insufferable grief of losing a sick pet. The trauma of holding him during his last moments and the days of gouging sadness, loneliness, and regret that followed impacted me physically in ways I was unprepared for. I woke up each morning feeling like I'd been in a car crash. I had no appetite. Quality sleep was off the table. I bring this up because if you can call to mind any time when you experienced an extreme emotion, you might also recall the impact it had on your physical body. Or even in less extreme examples, right, there is no lack of evidence that emotions like stress come with an assortment of physical side effects. So whether you buy into the Panchakosha theory or not, it's undeniable that our mental and emotional states can have enormous impact on our physical bodies and even on each other. One study's findings even suggested that mental fatigue can impair our ability to regulate our emotions, something I think most of us have experienced at least anecdotally. And I wonder if this contributed more to overall fitness levels than I'd originally thought. If our constant exhaustion is mental or emotional and not physical, and quick fix activities like journaling and five minutes of meditation aren't having a lasting impact, where can we look instead to remedy this? When solutions for alleviating physical exhaustion and burnout aren't having an impact, where is the root of the problem? There is no one-size-fits-all answer to this question. Sources of mental and emotional fatigue run the gamut from financial concerns to mental labor to realizing we've spent our entire adult lives trying to please everybody but ourselves. So speaking in extremely broad strokes here and sweeping generalizations, I would summarize it this way. Most of us are draining ourselves to manage one or more of the following. Number one, internal conflict between who we want to be and who we feel we should be. Number two, the basics of housing, finances, and holding down a job, and three, the anxiety of comparison, that sense of needing to keep up with the Joneses and winning in the overall rat race. 
let's take these one by one. So internal conflict between who we want to be and who we feel we should be. Stated so broadly, it's one of those things that anybody could probably relate to, so let me try to narrow down what I mean. In recent years particularly, we've started paying significantly more attention to outside pressures that push us to act a certain way, take certain jobs, and make certain life choices. And for what? To make your parents happy? Your employer? To get people to stop asking when you're going to get married or when you're going to have kids? Social ostracizing is powerful as is the judgment of people whose approval we crave, whether that be in a personal or professional capacity. And the public outcry to push back against this has been a fantastic social movement. However, it isn't always so easy to undo parts of your life that you've built in response to outside pressures you've been responding to your whole adult life. And just because you're aware now that maybe you made some major life choices to keep other people happy at the expense of your own fulfillment, that doesn't always mean that you can immediately take steps to change it, despite what every online coach seems to want to tell you. Intentionally overhauling your life takes time and careful risk assessment. And for many people, they aren't the only person who will be impacted by major upset. Being in a position where you want to make sweeping changes, but face significant financial and personal risk to do so, is extremely frustrating, and going round and round in circles about it is absolutely mentally and emotionally taxing. And for number two, let's move on and talk about some of those financial and personal risks. It isn't a secret to anyone in their late 30s that our generation is struggling through a housing affordability crisis, a student debt crisis, and a job market that refuses to pay us what we're worth. So if you are lucky enough to like the place you live, have manageable debt, and a decent job, the last thing you want to do is rock the boat, no matter how much you think making sweeping change might bring you fulfillment. Because for every story about the person who successfully left their job in pursuit of the elusive title of entrepreneur, there are a dozen others who ended up straightening the fitting rooms at Forever 21 a few months after leaving a cushy office job. So we hold our tongues when we're talked down to in meetings. We don't bring our personalities to the office where we're trying so desperately to be taken seriously. We stay trapped in the loop of people-pleasing for the sake of sustaining our livelihood and managing some of those real-world practical concerns. This takes a toll. And if those two things weren't enough, let's talk about the third thing I think most of us are struggling to manage. Constant self-comparison and the anxiety of keeping up. The most painful part of this one is how easily we lose ourselves in it because we think it's necessary. We convince ourselves that we need to change. We need to be better. We aren't good enough as we are. We need better clothes, better makeup, a better body, a nicer home. When in fact, everything we have is perfectly fine. It's all perfectly wonderful because it's perfectly us. But often we don't see it that way. And the stress of this constant change, this need to level up, elevate, live our best lives, become the best version of ourselves, it all just serves to foster the mentality that we aren't doing those things already and that we aren't deserving of the things we most desire in our present state. It is extremely stressful to never feel content. It creates a kind of internal restlessness, seeking the next upgrade or searching out external validation for the changes we've already made, or worse yet, looking for the next update that we're told we need to make. 
We wonder why we're so exhausted. And these are just three of probably dozens of things that drain our mental and emotional energy. I don't spell out all of this to say that the situation is impossible, but I think it's necessary to get into some of this because things like these are the source of our energy drain. It's great to say that you just need 15 minutes at the end of your workday to do a workout and that once you do it, you'll feel amazing. But if you've spent your whole day pretending to be someone you're not, pretending to care about something you don't, just for the sake of holding everything together, even 15 minutes of effort feels impossible when you finally clock out. You've already given everything you've got and you still have the mental and emotional labor of your home life waiting for you. This is what's real. You might be wondering at this point if this is just an impossible situation. And believe me, I had to pause while I was writing this and ask myself the same question. The one reason that I don't believe it's impossible is that I didn't always feel this way. I used to be fairly lighthearted. I loved myself, my friends, and the idea of the future. I would work my job Monday to Friday, but the moment I left the office on Friday, I didn't think about my job again until Monday morning. I was focused on spending time with my best friend, loving on my cats, enjoying my partner, packing as much fun into my life as possible. It wasn't that we didn't have responsibilities. Of course we did. We just prioritized them differently. And the things we prioritized the most gave us energy instead of draining it from us. I cared more about whether I liked my outfit than I did about what my boss thought of it. I cared more about what I was doing with my best friend on Friday night than I did about the staff meeting taking place that morning. I was just happy to have an apartment that I loved and I wasn't comparing it to the decorating project some influencer on YouTube was doing. I felt fantastic in my body and wasn't comparing it to anyone else's. This is what's happened to us by our late 30s, everyone. We fell into the habit of prioritizing the things that drain us. That's the bottom line. And that isn't to say that some of what we ought to prioritize won't require work. As silly as it sounds, it was work back then to always look put together, make plans with friends every week, and keep an apartment clean and decorated how I liked. But doing those things made me happy. Even if your priorities look different now, they should still be the things that make you happy. If you're prioritizing a job you don't like, spending time with people and family who drain you, or participating in events that you feel obligated to be at, those are the wrong priorities. You can have a job without prioritizing it. You can do the boring things like cleaning the house and getting the groceries without letting them fill up your entire weekend. The problem, I think, is that we've come to prioritize the things that drain us without really even realizing that we're doing it. Who was it that said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate? It is not our fate to be too tired to take care of ourselves and love our lives. So if we become aware of what we're prioritizing and we use it as a map to find our way back to what we were prioritizing when we felt our most energized, our happiest, our most youthful, I think we'll be well on our way to overcoming that mental and emotional fatigue that's been holding us back.
Thanks so much for listening to this week's podcast. Like I said, this week's topic really opened my eyes to some of the softer elements that make up the holistic whole of physical fitness. And I do think that there's going to be more items like this that we need to talk about on this podcast that are just very different in your late 30s than they were in your 20s, whether that's because it's been an accumulation over time of these sorts of new experiences or if it's just something that is a brand new experience in our 30s that we didn't even start until our late 30s and we had no idea that it was coming. So I hope this was thought provoking. I hope you enjoyed. Please follow the podcast. And if you have a second, it would be awesome if you could give the podcast a rating that will help push this out to a wider audience so we can grow the community, find more of us in our late 30s that are doing our absolute best to take control of our physical fitness. That's it for now. Stay tuned and I will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.